Good morning. Welcome to Grace Church. Although we live in a culture that currently talks incessantly about injustice and oppression, it's often hard to picture a culture with less clarity on what those things actually mean. To avoid making that mistake ourselves, let's begin by defining some terms. Injustice simply is possible as depriving someone of justice. Oppression, to afflict, hold down, exploit, or mistreat. Pretty basic, right? Not, not much controversy here, I don't imagine. But you'll notice something, or I hope you did. And if you haven't already, I hope to help you notice something right now. Each of those definitions, as simple as they were, presuppose certain standard. There's something underneath them that allows them to have meaning. Do you know what I mean already? If injustice is to deprive someone of justice and oppression is to mistreat somebody, we we presuppose there is something called justice and that there is a certain standard, objective standard, for the manner in which we ought to treat people. So how can there be injustice if there isn't first justice? And how can we mistreat someone if we don't know how they ought to be treated? And it's the failure to properly define the positive of each of those that often leads to such distorted understanding and practice of the negative. Biblically, it is clear that the positive of injustice, as I said, is justice. And biblical justice, in the most basic terms, is giving that which is deserved. Or, another way to say that same thing is, to give that which God requires. The biblical positive of oppression is a little trickier. It's a little less clear. But I, again, I think in the most basic terms, it's probably love. The, the biblical positive of oppression is love. To oppress someone is to give them that which is bad for them or to keep them from some rightful good or to take from them something that is theirs. In contrast, positively, To love someone is to graciously give to them that which is best for them, to strive with them, together with them, for their every good, and to take from them the burdens that others have placed upon them. For those reasons, I think it's right to think of the positive of injustice as justice and the positive of oppression as love. Well, as we see constantly, apart from clear and specific definitions, which over and over and increasingly and increasingly our our culture lacks, even within the church sometimes. Apart from clear and specific definitions of justice and love, injustice and oppression can simply become placeholder words for whatever we don't like in any given moment. In this way, we can simply cry injustice whenever someone attempts to hold us accountable for our actions. Or we can cry oppression whenever somebody doesn't give us whatever we happen to want. That is not to say that there aren't tragic injustices and oppressions going on all around us. It is also not to say that as a church, we have the option of being indifferent to those things when we find them. But it is to say, however, that there is a great deal of confusion on what those mean and that that leads to a great deal of confusion about what it means to act rightly in the face of them. With all of that, 
Welcome to Orphan Sunday. <laughs> this is an annual event in which we parti- we've participated for many years at Grace Church. And in so doing, in, in calling this Orphan Sunday, what we mean is, is that we are consciously and gladly and eagerly joining Christians and churches from around the world to put down, to put down the oppression and perversion of justice for the fatherless, while also simultaneously, not not just putting down oppression and injustice, but while also simultaneously lovingly fighting for their cause. We do so primarily because God has commanded it, not because it's popular today. And God has commanded it, as I hope to help you see, primarily because it paints such a clear picture of the gospel. So to those ends, we're going to consider one of the greatest marks, one of the greatest biblical marks of godlessness. I know you all came here this morning thinking, how can I find godlessness or where can I find godlessness in its most pure form? None of you thought that, but I'm going to tell you that anyway. As well as one of the greatest marks biblically of godliness. What is it that you ought to look for in a person? according to the Bible, to discern genuine godliness. And we're going to look at a a couple of practical ways to work together against injustice and oppression and for justice and love for the orphan. Big idea. Here's the big idea of the sermon, and I'm going to pray. The big idea of the sermon is that the way we treat orphans is the great divide, according to God's word. The way that we treat orphans is the great divide, or one of the great divides of all humanity. God has called his people to care for the orphan as a living picture of his care for us in Jesus. And at the same time, Grace, his fiercest condemnations in the Bible are for those who do otherwise. The main takeaway then, or I hope happens as a result of all this, the main takeaway is that we are to fight together, that we would fight together to grow in the kind of Christ-like character out of which orphan care and evangelism are both entirely natural, and fight together as a church, as a people, to make a real difference for the glory of God according to the word of God in the lives of the fatherless. No small task. Let's pray. God, you are able to do what we are not. You are able to give us a heart for things that we would not have a heart for otherwise. And that is because we we are able to love, your word tells us, the least of these the lowliest, those who have the least to offer us in return, not because of anything in us on our own, but because you first loved us and put your love in us to give to the whole world, and in particular, the most vulnerable in this world. We thank you, Jesus, for modeling that plainly, consistently, for not looking upon the face of man, for not looking to that which the world esteems, for walking among the poor and destitute, for giving your life as a ransom for the humble. I pray that we would see all of that, that the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the care for the orphan. What a picture it is. And I pray, God, again, as a result, that you would stir in us a deeper affection for those who are being oppressed and for those who have no one to help them in their oppression. I pray that you would do that because that's a picture of us apart from Christ. 
I pray that you would do that because insofar as we care for orphans, I think we'll see in your word today. We are painting a picture for the world, the gospel. We're helping them to see the transforming power of our Lord Jesus. I pray that that would be the case. And I pray that those who have no parents would find parents through Grace Church, that we would continue to pursue adoption, foster care, and thank you that we do in so many ways and that you've strengthened our church in so many ways through that and revealed the strength of our church in so many ways through this. I pray that you would only grow us in those things. And I pray them for your name's sake, because of Christ and in the power of the Spirit. Amen. So I kind of already let the cat out of the bag a little bit here, but I wonder what you think of, or at least what you would have thought of 10 minutes ago, when you thought of the most significant mark of godlessness. So if I were to say to you, imagine yourself walking down the street, and what is it that you might see in someone that would be the most clear and distinct expression of godlessness? What what do you think of? And Take a few seconds, try to draw to mind whatever biblical passages you can that speak of the things that most frustrate God. Or, one more way, what might we do that is most antithetical to God's character? I wonder what you would have said 10 minutes ago. What comes to mind? You might be surprised to find out that the continual refrain of the Word of God is that one of the surest pieces of evidence of godlessness, the lack of God's character, is the exploitation of the weak and the vulnerable particularly the widow, the sojourner, that is the wanderer, the the person who has no home or tribe, and the orphan. There is no surer sign, Grace, that you do not know the love of God than that you wrongly take from others or hold them down simply because you can. I want to show you numerous passages that speak to this to help you feel the weight of what the Word of God has to say about this to help you to see that this is not a minor issue in the Bible. But let me say this as clearly as possible. According to God's word, we cannot believe our faith is genuine and knowingly participate in the oppression of or deprive justice from the fatherless. One of the greatest marks of godlessness, once again, is mistreatment of the orphan. I'll give you a lot of passages. There's no scripture reading because most of the sermon is the scripture reading. You ready? Listen to these. Not just what they say. There's harsh things in it. But how many times? This isn't every time. I'm not reading every passage in the Bible that speaks to this. But feel wave after wave after wave after wave of God's understanding of the mistreatment of the vulnerable. Exodus 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Hear these words and tremble, Grace Church. If you do mistreat them, And they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children shall become fatherless. Deuteronomy 24, you shall not, my people, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this, that is, to not pervert justice for the orphan. Psalm 94. So I think it's not just in the law. Israel would sing about this. 
This is worthy of a song. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out, the wicked, they pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. What form does that take? They, they talk trash and their evil is bad and they brag about it. But what form does that take? Psalm, thir- Psalm 94, verse 5. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And as they, and they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob doesn't perceive what we're doing. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 23. What is God's harshest critique? Condemnation of the rulers of Israel. Your princes are rebels and companions are, and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. What else do these wicked rulers do? They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. A little later in Isaiah, chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, Woe, woe, woe to those who decree iniquities. Woe to the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that the widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment? Those of you who do this, who make the fatherless your prey, what will you do on the day of punishment, the day of judgment, in the ruin that will come from afar? What will you do, the Lord says? To whom will you flee and where Will you leave your wealth? Jeremiah five twenty six. For wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap. They catch men. Like a cage full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they have become great and rich in their wickedness. They have grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. What does that mean? What does it look like? when all boundaries of evil have been removed from you. The word of the Lord will tell us. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless. When all the bounds of evil are removed, one of the key marks of that is that we do not judge with justice the cause of the fatherless. Do not defend the rights of the needy. Ezekiel 22.6, Behold the princes of Israel in you. Look at your rulers. Look around at those charged to keep watch over you. Behold, the princes of Israel in you, every one according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widow are wronged in you. Malachi 3.5 I will judge, or I will draw near to you for judgment. You don't want to hear that from the Lord. What's the cause? What is it that caused God to declare he would draw near for judgment. I will be a swift witness. You don't want to hear that either. My judgment's going to come fast and fierce. I will I will be a swift witness against those who oppress the fatherless and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. In Job, in Job, the mistreatment of the vulnerable many times is among the worst possible charges that you could level against someone. Eliphaz's harshest accusation was tied to the mistreatment of the fatherless. Job 22.9, you have set widows, sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. 
Job laments the wickedness of the wicked among him who walk around free while he's suffering in righteousness. Job 24.9, there are those who snatch the fatherless child from the breast and they take a pledge against the poor. Finally, I want you to consider one more passage. It's Deuteronomy 27. What I want you to listen carefully for as I read this is the company kept by those who prefer, pervert justice for the fatherless. Consider the, the, what the word of the Lord likens those who pervert justice to the fatherless to. Cursed. Lots of curses going on here. Cursed be the man who makes carved or cast metal images. They are an abomination to the Lord. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. That's pretty low. Cursed be anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe and sheds innocent blood. You hear this, Grace? The orphan oppressor is on par in godlessness with the idolater, the parent cursor the thief, the most sexually perverse, and the murderer. Can you see how detestable it is in the eyes of the Lord to put down or mistreat or afflict or exploit or pervert justice for the orphan? Can you imagine harsher words from the Lord for anything concerning those who do? Is there worse company to keep than that which orphan harmers keep? Is it clear that one of the greatest marks of godlessness is to oppress or deprive justice from the fatherless? Is it obvious that according to God's word, one key question we are meant to ask when we consider whether or not our faith is real is how we treat those who cannot stand up for themselves and have no one to stand up for them? In kind, older brothers and sisters, it is no small thing to pick on your younger siblings. Bosses, it is not inconsequential for you to use your employees rather than to serve them. Parents, can you see more clearly now why one of our dedication questions is when you bring your children forward to be dedicated is, do you promise to serve your children and not to use them? Husbands, it is a treacherous thing to use your strength against your wife. Abortion is a great abomination, the killing of the most vulnerable of us all. Consider the words of the Lord and tremble. Well, it is good for us to hear what God's word has to say about hard matters <laughs> and that of godlessness as it relates to the cause of the orphan. I imagine, I hope, I think, I know you all well enough to know that that's not the main application for us here. I hope, I think, I believe. If you are participating in any way, Grace Church, in depriving, in just, in depriving justice from the vulnerable, repent now. But for most, this next section is probably where your prayers and thoughts and repentance and actions need most to be directed. Let me say this, because I want you to hear this plainly. It is not enough to merely not harm the weak. 
the great scriptural divide. Remember the, I think it, the great divide. There it is. The great scriptural divide is not between those who oppress orphans and those who are merely indifferent to them. The great scriptural divide is not between, it is not between those who oppress orphans and those who are indifferent to them. The chasm between godlessness and godliness is between those who pervert justice for the fatherless and those who lay down their lives for justice for the fatherless. Do you see the difference? In other words, as you might not have considered, but probably now expect, one of the greatest biblical marks of godliness is the pursuit of justice and love for the orphan. Grace, that means what I think you think it means. Reading, memorizing, and meditating on Scripture is necessary. Sharing the gospel with unbelievers is right. Spending time in prayer pleases God. Christian fellowship is vital. Those are the things that many would list if I were to ask you, what are the great marks of godliness? Those are all important. But right up there with those, along with the rest of the means of grace, and in some ways more so, as I think I can help you see near the end, is pleading the cause of the orphan. Again, I I want to steep you in Scripture. I want you to feel wave after wave after wave of Scripture in this as well, and then help explain why this is the case according to God's design. The first and main way we see orphan care as a great mark of godliness is in the simple fact that God is merciful. God is merciful toward the orphan. And therefore, orphan care is what God does. Seems pretty obvious then, doesn't it? If godliness, what is a great mark of godliness? If godliness is sharing in God's character and actions, then plainly seeing that God is entirely committed to being a father to the fatherless and all that that entails is the first step towards godliness in us. Hear the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. There is no one more mighty and powerful than him. There is no one who has the ability to exploit the vulnerable more than God because everyone is vulnerable to God. For the Lord your God is God of God and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. What does he do with his might? He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, and gives him food and clothing. We considered Exodus 22 earlier from the perspective of the wickedness or godlessness of mistreating orphans. Consider it again from the perspective of God's determination to crush those who do. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child, and if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will hear their cry, and my wrath will burn. Why do we say that orphan care is one of the greatest marks of godliness? Because that's what God does. My wrath will burn, and I will kill with the sword your wives, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Hosea 14. Return, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Israel had separated themselves from fellowship with the Lord. They had stumbled in a in, in their iniquity, will you think, hopefully asking, what was the nature of their iniquity? Take with you words and return to the Lord and say to him, in you the orphan finds mercy. They, they 
We're oppressing the orphan, but God is being merciful to the orphan. Psalm 10, again, we sing about this. This isn't a mere fact. This this isn't merely a declaration of things which is true. It is that, but it's also something worthy of praise. Psalm 10, 12, arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been a helper to the fatherless. Psalm 10, let's keep singing about it. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. You'll you'll hear them and listen to them to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror in them no more. Psalm 68, we're still singing. Sing to the Lord. It's a command now. Sing to the Lord. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalts before him. What is it about the Lord that is worthy of our praise? Verse 5, he is father to the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. You're commanded and I'm commanded as an expression of godliness to sing with all of our might to the Lord of all might. About what? About the fact that he is father to the fatherless. Psalm 146, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Again, Grace. If godliness is sharing in God's character and actions, may God help us to see plainly that his character and actions are for the orphan. Several years ago, during Orphan Sunday, I preached an entire sermon on this. The title was something like, All of the Greatness of God is for the Fatherless. And so we read in passages like this that describe the God who spoke and brought all of creation into being. He is that powerful and upholds it continually by the word of his power and is actively working all things together for good for those who love him. What does that mean? In part, it means all of that is directed at the cause of the fatherless. That is, right at the center of God's own heart is love for the orphan. Spend time this week, Grace, meditating on this. Pull the manuscript up later and pour over these passages that describe the heart of God and the for and the actions of God toward the vulnerable. Spend some time meditating on that. Consider what it would mean for you as an individual, and but also for us as an entire church to live more fully, to think more fully, to feel more fully, to act more fully, or more in line, to be more godly in this area. Well, the second main way the Bible teaches that orphan care is essential to godliness First was showing, helping you to see it in God's character and actions. But the second way is in seeing the fact that God not only fights for the cause of the orphan, but he also commands his people to join him in it. We don't just have, we don't just have his examples. We also have his charges. And our first passage helps us to see that the two are inseparable. His character and commands is inseparable from his charges to his people regarding orphan care. Deuteronomy 10 again. God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And here's what 
Here's where the grounding clause for our obedience comes from. Love the sojourner, therefore. Love the orphan. Love the widow, therefore. Love the vulnerable, therefore. God is this. Therefore, we ought to do the same, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 14, and also Deuteronomy 24, and also Deuteronomy 26. At the end of every three years, this is the command of the Lord to the people of God, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow, the most vulnerable, Levites because they didn't have land of their own, the rest because they couldn't provide for themselves, who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled. And the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. In other words, you need to provide for those who can't provide for themselves. Deuteronomy 24, you shall not, this is a command of the Lord, pervert justice due to the sojourner and the fatherless. Psalm 82, sing about this grace. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Proverbs 23, do not move an ancient landmark. That's weird, because what does that mean? But what it means is they would have landmarks that were the property boundaries. And those who were able would move the property boundary over to make their land bigger. And those who couldn't protect themselves, their land smaller. Don't do that. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless to take from it. For their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Jeremiah 22, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong. Notice it doesn't just say don't rob them. It says deliver them from those who have and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow nor shed innocent blood in this place. Zechariah 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor, and let no one devise evil against another. What's more, God consistently calls his people to orphan care as a true mark of genuine repentance. So in the passages I just read, it's God describing godliness, the godly actions he means his people to perform. But but what happens when you haven't been doing that? And you, co- you come back before God. For- forgive us, God. We're sorry that we acted wrongly. What does that need to look like to be truly repentant? When the Israelites began to recognize the folly of their ways and turn their grumblings to God, God would often call them to show it in their actions and not just their words. There's a difference, we're told, especially in the New Testament, between worldly sorrow, which just is upset with the consequences of our sin, and godly sorrow or godly grief, which lifts our head upward and cries out to God for mercy in repentance. That's the heart of this. God would tell them, don't just mumble words at me because you don't like your current circumstances. Show me in your actions. And among the first actions God called for was that his people would stop oppressing the weak. Isaiah 1. Okay, you want to you know what real repentance looks like? This is the command of the Lord. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove all the evil from your all the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Stop your sin and positively learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Jeremiah 7. 
If you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if your repentance is real, if you truly execute justice with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods with your own to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers. James one twenty seven. Religion that is pure and undefiled. If your religion was unpure or defiled, what does it look like to turn from that to religion that is pure and undefiled? It is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In relation to the fatherless, then, what does godliness look like? Let me put all that together quickly. It means being merciful toward the fatherless, being genuinely concerned for the fatherless. It means feeling deep sympathy for the fatherless. It means expressing consistent generosity toward the fatherless. It means providing help for the fatherless. It means sacrificially rescuing the fatherless. It means feeding, freeing, watching over, lifting up, and upholding the fatherless. It means protecting the fatherless. It means prospering and defending the fatherless. It is not merely not harming them or being indifferent to them. It is actively working to end their oppression and to lift them up in love to all that God has for them that marks genuine godliness. So Grace, let me let me quickly say just a couple things about this. I hope you're feeling a little overwhelmed. Let me say something about that. First, everyone in the church must give ourselves to all that God has called us to. God's commands to his people are God's commands to his people. And among the things that God has called us to is to work against those who would oppress the vulnerable and for the flourishing of the fatherless in love. You and I, none of us are exempt from caring for the orphan. That's not all. A couple more things. Second, not everyone, though, in the church can do every good thing that God calls us to at every time in the same way. That makes sense? Let me say that again. This is as important as the first thing. First thing is we cannot be, none of us who call in the name of the Lord can be indifferent to the cause of the orphan. But second, not everyone in the church can do every good thing that God calls us to do all the time and in the same way. God gives specific burdens and specific gifts to specific people at specific times to accomplish his specific purposes. That's important. Third, God means us to be strengthened by one another's gifts and burdens. I might never be as burdened for and gifted in orphan care as my wife, in the same way that she probably will never be as burdened for and gifted in doctrinal precision as I am. But instead of looking down on each other for lacking our burdens and gifts or feeling guilty that we don't share them to the same degree, we're meant to learn God's fuller heart and love from one another. And what's true of us in our marriage is true of us as a people. Paul talks about that a lot in the sense that elbows shouldn't be resentful of eyeballs and eyeballs shouldn't be resentful of kneecaps and kneecaps shouldn't be resentful of backs. I ran out of body parts there for a second. (laughs) But, But the point is, God has gifted us and burdened us each according to his purposes. And here's the last thing. And I, I think I think you'll find the ability to rejoice and feel freedom in this. This is a big deal. And it's good news. God looks to us as a people 
not merely as individuals. That's a big deal. What do I mean? Grace, find joy in the fact that God is pleased by what we do collectively as a body, as a covenant community. He is pleased by what we give ourselves to as a church, as well as what we give ourselves to each as individuals. That's a big deal. And that way, the orphan care that any of us do within this loving people, united by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, what any of us do in the way of orphan care, we all do in a certain sense. That's awesome. And Jesus Christ has already died to forgive us of all of our sins and put his spirit in us to enable us to do what we can't do on our own or collectively. So this leaves us with two questions that I'm going to quickly close with. Why is orphan care so much a part of the heart of God? And why is it such an indicator, a great divide between godlessness and godliness? And second, and most briefly, what does it really look like in practice? Orphan care is central to God's heart and commands because it so clearly portrays the gospel. Orphan care is in many ways the gospel incarnate, with flesh on. What orphans experience physically and emotionally, all mankind experiences spiritually, whether we know it or not. Orphans are vulnerable and helpless on their own. They have nothing to offer and no way to rescue themselves. Their only hope is that someone would be merciful to them. That is all of us in Adam. We are all dead in our trespasses and sins and have no way of escaping. We cannot rescue ourselves. We cannot be reconciled to God on our own. Our only hope is that God would turn to us in his mercy and grace. And he has. He has in Jesus Christ. There is perhaps no clearer picture of this physical, spiritual orphan parallel than Ezekiel 16. This is one of the hardest passages in the Bible for me to read. Not, not just this part, but as it continues to unpack. This is God speaking to the Israelites. It's him speaking to us. It brings clearly together the physical and spiritual. It comes to the orphan. As for you and your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do, what any, to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. You're an orphan. But you were cast out into the open field, unwanted and abandoned. You, For you were abhorred, not only unwanted and abandoned, but abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you, the Lord, when the Lord passed by and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. I said to you, in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. What an awesome picture that is. This also shows up, this connection between the gospel and orphan care, as God ties his commands for orphan care to the fact that the Israelites were once helpless themselves as slaves in Egypt. Over and over, do this, care for the vulnerable, the weak, and the orphan, because you too were slaves in Egypt. And this is also is also a key aspect of our salvation. By grace, through faith, we're not only forgiven and cleansed of our sins, we are also adopted into God's family as, as we say every Sunday, his beloved sons and daughters. I hope that helps you to appreciate the sweetness and goodness of that clause that we say every week. I hope you don't get tired of hearing that. So grace, the great divide between godlessness and godliness 
is so closely tied to orphan care because orphan care is so closely tied to the gospel according to God's design. What is true of orphans physically is a clear picture of what's true of all of us spiritually. And in these ways, the way we treat orphans speaks loudly concerning the way we understand our own relationship to God. Finally, very quickly, what does this look like in practice? Truthfully, more often than not, it looks messy and it is difficult. It's not neat and clean. It's not tidy. Think of the words of Ezekiel. You're out there in your blood with no one to wash you. Just as doing ministry to sinners as a sinner is often hard, so too can be caring for orphans. The very fact that there are orphans means something is already broken. What's more, the system in our culture in this time and place to care for orphans is broken as well. The government, in assuming a responsibility for something it was not designed by God or charged by God with and the church for abdicating our role in many ways, is broken. It's challenging because of so much brokenness, but it is also good and right and possible because of the gospel. So with that said, the Orphan Care Sunday team for the last couple of years have given us nine things. The idea is not that you would do all nine things right now this afternoon, although that'd be awesome. The idea is that you would pick one that God particularly pricks your heart for and begin working at it or begin coming along some, alongside somebody who already is in a new way. Here they are. I'm just going to read them. Speak up for orphans. Talk about it. Talk about the brokenness of the system. Talk about the need to care for orphans. Talk about God's heart for orphans. Speak up for their cause. Second, provide for their needs. Find real ways to find real people who do not have parents and find ways to meet their needs, their food, their clothing, their shelter. Third, support those who support them. There are several families at Grace right now who are seeking to adopt or are fostering or something like that. Find ways to help them. Fourth, protect them from harm. Find some way to protect them from harm. Maybe some of you kids will become police officers to do this or some other way. Find some way to protect them from harm. Fifth, visit them where they are. Real people need real people. Sixth, give sacrificially. Some, some of you have the ability to give financially in ways that will support ministries that care for the orphan beyond what they could currently imagine. Do that. Seven, encourage them to press on in faith. Those who are caring for orphans and orphans. Eighth, adopt. Adopt. Be a father to the fatherless. Ninth, help mobilize our church. For the glory of God and the good of the fatherless, according to the commands of God, as we are empowered by his spirit and as a living picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us give ourselves, Grace Church, increasingly, individually and collectively, to this particular form of godliness.